Hello from Houston, and welcome to the Highlights Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Houston Young Lawyers Association. Our goal is to learn, lead, network, and serve. And welcome back to the Highlights Podcast. My name is Femi, and I'm a transactional attorney here in Houston. And my name is Patrick. I'm an arbitration lawyer also here in Houston. Well, um, getting back into the swing of things for season two, we've spoken to a lot of attorneys who are, you know, at traditional law firms, but I thought it would be a great idea, you know, to sort of talk to people who are working for companies directly. So um, we have the pleasure of speaking with Sabra Thomas. Sabra, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Splendid. Very good. Thank you for asking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... uh, in terms of a formal introduction, Sabra Thomas is Council of Finance and Development at EDP Renewables North America. Um, prior to joining EDP Renewables, Sabra was an associate at Sidley Austin LLP in Houston, where she advised clients on transactions in the energy space. She earned a Bachelor of Science in Public Relations from the University of Texas, and her JD is from the University of Houston. Um, you're also, a, you're a pretty big sports fan, right? Um, yeah, you might could say that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember you had, um, a good amount of sports memorabilia, just like you're, you're a fan of the Astros for sure. I've never heard sports used generally like that before. You didn't even. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I think <laughs> I didn't really know how to answer that. Um, maybe? <laughs> a baseball fan? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, I mean, I'm not a sports person, so it's not fair for me to jump on that. Yeah. And don't, you know, don't ask me too many detailed questions, but I do enjoy going to sporting events. Okay. I mean, I think all I know about baseball is I've heard, you know, Nolan Ryan, Babe Ruth, um, and that's pretty much it. And innings, innings are, are a part of it. This is true. I, I think that I think that's nine that innings of... might be a part of it. Yep. <laughs> uh, this is a Femi, I can't help but notice that you pronounced it finance. Is yeah. that I have mixed feelings about that pronunciation, but I'm curious if that's how it's Yeah. Uh, and maybe maybe Sabra has thoughts on it. <laughs> but do you pronounce it finance? I have heard it both ways. I think I say finance and I don't know if that's a more, it sounds like a more Southern pronunciation, almost like finance. (laughs) I I never thought about it that way. (laughs) I just, I don't know. I, I always have pause whenever I hear finance, but I think it's pronounced that way in our, in our, I'll say finance group, uh, at at Northern Mm. Fulbright, but I, yeah, I don't know. I've always just thought it's funny when people pronounce one way or the other, the pronunciation, but I, yeah, well, I, for for me, I think I probably use both. But now that I'm using the term financing a lot, I just it just seems it just seems financing. to make yeah it just yeah. seems to make sense. Like financing, why aren't we saying financing? But I, some people do say financing, so I, I'm yeah, not sure. I think I do, but yeah, yeah I'm mm. not sure either. I'm not the judge here. I just <laughs> used one. So, you know, listeners, if, if you want to use finance or finance, you're, you're free to do whatever you wish. Yeah, don't judge me if I say financing 
throughout the course <laughs> of this conversation. Right. So, um, Sabra, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where are you from? And how did you end up uh, starting your, your legal career here in Houston? Sure. Um, so I am from a small town in Northeast Texas um, called Cooper, Texas. I, I grew up there, um, went to UT for undergrad. And when it came to applying for law schools, I wanted to stay in Texas. Uh, my family's here. Um, so I only applied to UT and U of H. Um, at the end of the day, U of H offered me a much better financial aid package. And, um, you know, Houston is a much larger, larger legal market. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's kind of how I ended up here and just ended up loving it and staying around. Awesome. So um, did you did you have any interest in, in the energy space or that wasn't part of it? No, that wasn't really part of it. Um, I didn't really know much of anything back then. Um, and I'm the first lawyer in my family. So I was kind okay. of just flying along blindly and luckily it all worked out. Awesome. Did you always know that you wanted to because you started your career at a law firm. Did you know that's where you wanted to end up after law school? No, I mean, I didn't go into law school with any sort of definite oh. idea of where I would end up afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, and part of that was just not really knowing sort of yeah, the scope yeah. of opportunities that would even be available. Like I said, I, I didn't have any lawyers in my family and yeah, I mean, I, I found out about others kind of going through law school, but, you know, ended up yeah. making good enough grades to go through the OCI process. And obviously it's, you know, kind of hard to turn down a big law salary. And um, yep. it just seems like a good opportunity to sort of learn how to be a lawyer. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So um, did, did you have any particular interest in transactional versus litigation? Or no? Yes, I I always wanted to do transactional work. Um, okay. No offense to Patrick. Um, <laughs> it's a very personal but, attack. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you're in arbitration, right? Is that maybe that's different yeah. from litigation? I, uh, uh... <laughs> I guess I could I could choose to take that stance, but it's it's all disputes at the end of the day. I won't be a an arbitration purist. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't, yeah, I, I personally just didn't really have uh, a desire to do litigation um, and transactional just was a better fit for me. Um, so for, for this next point, you know, I was thinking like, how do we transition? I'm very interested in what in-house does, but I think we might want to start with just what, what company you're at. So you know, for the listener, what is EDP Renewables? What do they do? Um, and then after that, can you just let us know what is your role as in-house counsel to sort of help the company achieve those goals? Sure. Um, so EDP Renewables or EDPR, um, we develop and operate wind and solar projects um, worldwide. Uh, so I actually work for the North American branch, I think you mentioned FEMI, um, ADPR North America, we're headquartered here in Houston. Um, and we focus on um, the US, Canada and Mexico. Okay. 
Um, so yeah, I started at EDPR in March of 2020. Um, I was a fifth year associate at Sibley and um, I actually happened to start on the, the day that Houston sort of locked down for the pandemic. <laughs> So a so running been... theme for, for, for all of our That's both, uh, <laughs> that's both for really fortunate, but also probably <laughs> really scary timing for you, I imagine. Yeah, I bet. You... Yeah, yeah, definitely wasn't how I envisioned things going when I sort of interviewed and took the job. Yeah. Because things escalated, you know, so quickly during those couple of months. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I interviewed, I think, in January. So at that mm, point, okay. you know, yeah. nobody was, yeah, nobody, yeah. none of this was happening. Um, so yeah, I think it was March 16th. People had kind of started to stay home on their own at that point. But my supervisor, who's the associate general counsel, um, had me meet him at the office just so I could get set up with my laptop. I could see where I would be sitting. And actually he made a comment, um, like, oh, you know, why don't you just come in to pick up everything? I'm sure we'll all be back in a couple weeks mm -hmm. um, because none of us had any idea at that point. Um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, the yeah. office was empty. I think we were at the office when we got the notification that everybody was supposed to just sort of shelter in place. So I didn't go back for over a year. Um, and so, so it was definitely a. Did it feel like odd, a new job? Yeah, when you came back, it, it did actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really did. I was I had like first day jitters, even though I yeah. had been working with all of these people for over a year. Um, and it was just so strange, like meeting people um, face to face after having spent you know all these hours talking to them on the phone or through emails, and still having no idea what some people looked like. Yeah. So that was just kind of strange how it all worked out, but, um, we're back in the office three days a week right now. Um, and actually that's going to be our permanent, uh, sort of situation going forward. They've decided to move to a partial work from home, okay. um, structure forever. So I'm pretty happy about that. That, that is a awesome. good token to come out of that. Um, yeah. you know, at, at least now you get to see people more, but then you also have the flexibility to sort of just be yeah. in your own element. So, yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's a good, um, mixture, I think. So, um, getting to the second part of your question, um, our in-house legal team at EDPR, um, we support our projects at sort of every phase of development and operation um so yeah. that's everything from like the very beginning um negotiating land leases and interconnection agreements um to supporting throughout construction for supply and service agreements um and then you know reviewing power purchase agreements and negotiating financing documents <laughs> there it is financing um <laughs> and um, and also, I mean, I think our job is to help mitigate risk, um, that, you know, EDPR might be taking on in a given transaction. So, um, that's just sort of how our legal team works. Generally, I primarily support, um, financing and M&A transactions. So that's, um, debt financing, equity financing, um, 
on the M&A side, it's both um, acquisitions and sales of projects. Um, so that's mm -hmm. sort of what I was hired to do. But in between those transactions, I have, you know, just day-to-day -day activities and sort of one-off reviews of things like services agreements or letters of credit, non-disclosure agreements. I don't know, like a variety of documents. So that's sort of yeah. my role as in-house counsel. Part of part of this is my own ignorance as to who all, like what players are involved in these types of projects. Does EVP renewal, Renewables play the same role from project to project or do they have different roles in different projects? So it's the same role from project to project if you're looking at the same sort of life cycle of a project. Mm -hmm. So we would um, develop the project, build it, um, put it into operations and then own it and operate it. But sometimes we'll buy a project in the middle of its development phase or mm. we'll buy a project that's already operational and, and operate it and continue to own it. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, but no. it's, yes, it, it is the same sort of role yeah, as no. developer of the project. Yeah. And that gives a pretty good overview of the different kinds of roles there are and what the, even a, a snapshot of what the life cycle of a project is. So that is actually very, um, brief and informative, um, I think. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. So, you know, going into now we understand how the company operates and your your role in that. To the nitty gritty, I'm sure EDPR has a number of law firms at its call whenever it has, you know, cert certain transactions and, you know, they might have some other, uh, you know, regulatory issues. So, how does it bifurcate between what in-house counsel is doing on a daily basis versus when they they need to pull in that outside counsel? Sure. Um, so I think we do work closely with outside counsel on a lot of our transactions. Um, not not all of them, but um, we actually just had a meeting uh, with our legal group and our general counsel about this topic this today. Um, just to talk about like scope of work and um, where it's sort of most beneficial to, to work with outside counsel. Um, so our group in-house is about 18 to 20 lawyers. So it's a pretty good sized group. Oh, that, um, it's sort of like another firm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually. Um, and we're split up into some real estate attorneys and some of us who don't do real estate. Um, okay. But um, even at that size, in a lot of cases, there's um, just too much work for our in-house team to handle alone, um, especially when we do have large M&A um, or financing transactions where there's a lot of time that's being spent on drafting documents or um, reviewing a ton of diligence materials in the data room. Yeah. So, um, so we do tend to use outside counsel for our really big transactions. And then... I would say um, outside counsel is also really helpful for um, expertise in certain areas. So, you know, for example, like regulatory compliance, we have an outside firm that we work with on uh, FERC matters for yep. a lot of our transactions hmm. or a certain geographic area, like local counsel in a certain state or yeah. Canada, for example, we always work with Canadian counsel because 
I mean, we're not licensed <laughs> under Canadian law yeah. in Mexico. Good policy. So, um, yeah, we do work pretty closely with outside counsel um, just to sort of help manage coordination and workflow and all these deals. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of how the, the bifurcation has worked that, that I've seen, you know, since I've been there. Yeah. Um, now, I know for a lot of M&A transactions, just focusing on those for a minute, normally the the outside counsel M&A team is sort of, you know, they're quarterbacking the deal. But from an in-house perspective, is is it basically in-house, the, the in-house group telling the outside counsel group what to do? Or can it basically... Uh, shift based on on the transaction you know perhaps you're working in a new market you guys haven't worked on that maybe you know i don't know a, a wind a wind farm in ohio i don't know if ohio has a lot of wind but <laughs> and you know maybe maybe just because you know the structure of the company and and the the regulations are, are different maybe you guys sort of take a back seat how how, how does that work um, yeah, so we, I would say we, um, we do, uh, we're the ones responsible for engaging outside counsel and sort of setting, uh, yeah. setting up sort of what the, what the process of working together is going to look like. Um, we typically will let our outside counsel go through, um, drafts of documents or, you know, do the initial drafts or, review drafts, if we get them from the other side, take the first pass through and help us to sort of highlight issues um, to review. And um, we're in pretty frequent contact with them. You know, we'll set up calls to go through documents and um, we'll have, you know, all hands calls with um, both sides and their counsel. So yeah. we're all pretty like closely working together. Um, I, I don't, I don't know as far as like running the transaction. I mean, like, like I said, we'll let them do sort of more of the heavy lifting on the okay. documents yeah. and, and the negotiations sometimes, but then we're kind of the ones that have contacts inside mm -hmm. of our company um, for like, you know, our regulatory team, like, a, oh, hey, can, is this something we can agree to? Or yeah. going to like our environmental team members and getting them to sign off on a certain rep or something like that. Um, okay. It's handling more of that sort of internal coordination. Um, so yeah. <laughs> so you, you mentioned the size of your, your in-house legal team at about 20 people. And then you kind of talked about how there are different, um, teams within that. Um, is there, what is, what does the structure look like? Is it relatively flat or is there a hierarchy within, um, those in-house lawyers? Yes, there, there is a hierarchy. So we have a general counsel who heads up our legal group. And then we have an associate general counsel um, who is my direct supervisor and he supervises um, a few of us. And we have a couple of people who act as um, more senior counsel roles who supervise several people underneath them. We can start off with maybe a general question of how it compares to, and this is maybe unfair coming from Femi and I and that we're both associates at large law firms. So I imagine a transition from any uh, any legal job could, is there's a transition there, but coming from um, an associate at a law firm, what is that transition like? 
Yeah. Um, well, I transitioned when I was a fifth year associate. Um, and in that sort of role um, on a lot of deals, it would be me working with um, a partner and maybe a junior associate. At Femi, I don't know if like that's your experience with typical yeah. kind of deal structure. Yep. Um, and so transitioning into an in-house role, I kind of just now realized that I kind of view my, my supervisor as sort of the partner on the deals. Like we'll work on a lot of deals together and um, it's sort of that same kind of relationship on yeah. a lot of our bigger deals. Um, we don't really have, you know, we don't have an equivalent for junior associates, um, but we do have a lot of great paralegals and other yeah. staff that, that are able to help us out. So um, yeah, we, we kind of still have sort of that deal team structure, um, mm. but it is, but it is different. Can you, I guess in, in terms of it being different, um, is there anything specific that comes to mind and how you mentioned lack of junior associates, but anything else as far as maybe additional roles that you have that you either wouldn't otherwise wouldn't, or maybe roles that you, you don't have. Hmm. Um, no, I mean, not, not really that I can think of. I mean, it is, it is a different, it's a very different role from working as an associate in a law firm, just in terms of the clients that you're working for. Yeah. Um, so obviously, at, you both know at a law firm, you're sort of working as a service provider for a bunch of different clients and as in-house counsel, the role is more like your clients are the various um, like departments and stakeholders within the company. Yeah. So it, it is different in that you're, you're only working for one company, but um, you can still have competing demands between different groups and different deals. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the nature of the role is a little bit different. So, uh, when you go into a law firm, at least for, for most people, they sort of pick one practice area. I think it's, it's sort of that that's the standard trend. Um, but then when you go in house, it, it sounds like you may be housed into one area perhaps, but you still have to be mindful of just the, the, the different areas that your piece might affect. So. I mean, what, what's required for a person who's interested in going in-house in terms of the training that, that they should be getting as, as an associate at a law firm? And, you know, how do you get that breadth of that? Did I say that right? The breadth of, of experience. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be weird if you like really pronounce the D. <laughs> I, just, I, wanted, I wanted the listener to know I didn't mean breath. I meant the other yeah. one. <laughs> I knew what you meant. <laughs> anyway, the, the, the variety of experience that, that seems to be required. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you're right. I think um, a lot of... Uh, I think a lot of in-house roles are more sort of generalist roles, um, especially as you kind of move up higher in the ranks. Yeah. And um, and unfortunately, I think it's difficult for an associate at a law firm to 
have experience in multiple different practice groups because that's just not how it's set up. Um, so uh, for me personally, I was in the finance group at Sidley and um, I did have some MA experience at Sidley as well, just as a function of how the assignment system is set up for junior associate there. Femi, I know you know all about that. Um, and so that sort of being able to rotate through a few different practice groups gave me um, an opportunity to get a bit of a variety of experience in transactional work, which I think is really helpful for the position that I hold now. Um, I don't know that there's necessarily like one or two practice areas that are required, you know, to have experience in. I think it's just going to depend on the company and the position. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of roles um, in-house. Obviously, I do transactional, but there's litigation and IP, uh, you know, regulatory. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I guess all I, I would say on that, just like, don't be afraid to, you know, try to learn about something outside of the group that you're in. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult to kind of yeah. to plan that out, I think. Yeah. So one of the things, one of the silver linings to starting, like, one of the good things about starting at a big law firm is that you n very seldomly will a mistake that you make cause any big like catastrophe. Um, there's a lot of like buffer between like the, the more senior associates the, and the partner to like either catch mistakes, help you correct them. Um, but when I think about being in-house counsel, this like you are you have a team, but you are the legal department for that company. And it seems like there's a lot of responsibility within a small group of people who are overseeing this work of like the outside counsel and ultimately making sure that whatever deals or whatever uh, legal matters are being handled are handled correctly. Do you feel like in starting in that role that there is kind of this uptick in responsibility that you, you feel in your career? Yeah, um, you know, I, I did have a little bit of anxiety about that. And, um, but I'm fortunate to have a great supervisor who's been at the company a long time. And, and we have several people in our group who have been doing this for a long time. And so ultimately, you're never really alone when you're making a decision. If there's something that I'm not sure about, or my supervisor is like, oh, I don't know, I haven't seen this issue come up before. We have a lot of people in our group and we're all, you know, we all sit close okay. by each other. It's, it's very easy to just be like, oh, hey, like, what yeah. are your thoughts on this? And sort of pool our knowledge and our resources. And um, you mentioned outside counsel. That's another great um, resource for if maybe we're negotiating specific provision and we're not sure if it's something we really should agree to. It's great to have a gut check of like, hey, have you seen other clients agreeing to this or like, what, what are you seeing? What do you think? What are the risks here? So, yeah, I mean, it does feel a little bit scary at first, but, um, but at the end of the day, there are resources if you're, you know, if you are trying to make one of those decisions. Yeah. So when, when you take on this new role, obviously, you know, the, the first role 
as an attorney is sort of about risk, legal risks. Um, but do you also have to develop sort of a, a business mindset as well? Um, is, is that something that you, you had to cultivate before going in? Or is that something that, you know, you, you feel you can easily attain on the job? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you definitely have to cultivate that mindset because you are working for and representing this company. Um, and not not that, you know, when you have clients as an outside law firm, you shouldn't also have that mindset, but you're just more closely involved in the day-to-day of the business and more in tune with what the business needs are um, and than you would be as outside counsel um, when you're a little bit more removed from that. So uh, we work really closely with our commercial teams on our deals, and I've definitely learned to be able to flag, you know, major commercial issues that we have to get their input on. Um, And, you know, I'm, you know, review from a legal perspective as well. But yeah, I mean, we always have the the business teams involved. Um, And so I have developed more of that mindset working in a company. Can, can you tell us, uh, I guess, uh, of an example of something that, you know, when you were at Sidley, you know, maybe you would have sort of taken the more legal approach, but then now as in-house, it, it's just, there, there's a very serious difference in, in how you would approach that issue. I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, I think... Uh maybe I don't know how good of an example this is, but for example, um, thinking about if we have some sort of like timing deadline in a contract, so maybe like a certain amount of time for uh, post-closing work to get done. I think maybe if I'm reviewing that contract as outside counsel and I see 30 days on this covenant to, I don't know, go out and get some sort of study, I might think, well, I mean, I have no idea. Like that's, I don't know how to uh, sign off on that or how to review it. And I'm, I don't, I'm not in a position where I have that kind of information, but working in house, you know, immediately who to go and ask like, Hey, is this possible? Like you, you see that and it raises Mm -hmm. the flag of like, I know for our company, this is what we need. Um, Just because you are more closely in tuned with all of that. And that might not be a very good example, but I think it's just, um, yeah. Yeah, just being kind of closer to all of that and knowing sort of how your company does things. Well, you might that, notice different things. That 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 does make more sense now, especially I mean, if if anybody's been on a on a financing, there are these, you know, 5 BDs, 10 BDs deadlines, <laughs> especially yeah. you know, there's the the concept of the borrowing notice. Um, and a lot of times the, the dates for that is sort of just based on how long does it take for like the, the banks to get the money to send wires out, you know? So, you know, as, as lender counsel, you might think, I don't know, like one day is fine, but then (laughs) I I, I would assume the, uh, the council would know, oh, wait, you know, Jim is out on Wednesday. We're going to close on this day. I think we need to do like five BDs, you know, that you, you have that. That idiosyncratic knowledge that that would actually help out. Yeah, I think that's right. That's good. Do you, um, do you, in your job, it sounds like you interact now with a 
bigger mix then of lawyers and non-lawyers like business people is that true and then do you is it a nice change of pace yeah um no that's absolutely true um as an associate at a law firm you know we would obviously work closely with um, our clients who sometimes were lawyers at their company Sometimes they weren't, but then they were sort of our point of contact and questions and comments and things like that would funnel through them. And you don't get really exposed to, um, you know, everyone that works at the company that that's your client. But um, in this role, I mean, you are that person who's the point of contact yeah. and um, the one that's sort of trying to help manage coordination and workflows and um, so definitely um, work closely with our development teams um, and our finance team. We work very closely with them. Um, we work pretty closely with our team that manages relations with all of our investors. Um, and so it is it is a nice change of pace. I mean, we have a good group of people and um, it's nice to to see how your part kind of fits in to yeah. all of the different business groups. Awesome. Um, well, I guess a, a good point here is, um, you know, what advice would you have for law students or current associates that are interested in going in-house at some point in their careers? Yeah, um, for that, um, I, I would say um, if you're thinking about going in-house at some point in your career, um, one suggestion is to take a look at um, what job postings are out there for in-house opportunities, um, just so you can sort of get an idea of what companies may be looking for. And I feel like that could help you kind of shape your practice prior to going in-house if you have sort of a picture of what the end goal is. So for me, I try to remain open to different types of work early in my career because um, I just thought it would give me access to a wider range of opportunities when I was ready to make the move in-house. Um, and I, you know, I looked at in-house postings long before I knew I was ready to make the move because I still wanted to get that experience at a law firm. But from time to time, I would go on LinkedIn and other job sites and just kind of see what was out there and what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one piece of advice. Um, obviously, you know, make the most out of the training opportunities that are available to you now and, um, you know, build up your network of connections. I know that can be kind of hard to do right now, um, with this ongoing pandemic, but, um, I don't know, I think, so I'm a six year now, uh, by the time you get several years into your career, a lot of the people that you went to law school with and your former colleagues will have gone in-house. So um, it, I think it's just helpful to maintain that network to the yeah. extent you can. Do you do you find that people are trying to network with you even more now that now that you're in house? <laughs> <laughs> um, I I have actually had a lot of people reach out to me um, <laughs> just to get um, sort of my take on it all and see how it's going and how yeah. I you know managed that whole process and. Um, and I'm always happy to be a resource, but yeah, I, I have, I have had some people <laughs> reach out to me. <laughs> well, so I'm curious, 
I think it's different for everyone, and there's no there's no black or white answer. But I'm trying to add some content to this like this concept of like when the timing is right for mm -hmm. that sort of transition, and what made you realize the timing was right when when you did make the change. Yeah, so that's a good question, and you're absolutely right that it is different for everyone and for every every opportunity. Um, but I, I found when I was looking that in most cases, a few years of legal experience was required. Um, so I, I think often you see sort of a range of, you know, five to eight years of experience. Um, and I know that a lot of, you know, some people can find opportunities faster than that. Some people are able to get them right out of law school. But I feel like a lot of times it's, um, you know, in what I was seeing was sort of a minimum of about five years of when you have had time to sort of train, learn how to be a lawyer, yourself a valuable candidate. So yeah. I think that's kind of the timing that I had in my head was around five years. And so I, I would look sooner than that, but I wouldn't see very many openings or opportunities for less than that amount of experience and certainly not ones that I was really so I think it was kind of uh, just waiting until I, I hit that right window of time yeah. in my mind. Okay. Awesome. And I guess my, before Femi has this fun question, um, which I'm sure he does, no pressure, <laughs> Femi. Uh, <laughs> pressure mounting. <laughs> um, maybe very briefly and without too much, I think if I, usually when someone is asked what their favorite part of working in houses, it'll be something about no billable hours or the work life <laughs> balance. So maybe without those taking those two answers off the table, um, and maybe more about like the substance of like your 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 day to day job, what is your favorite thing about working in house? Hmm. That's a good question, because I probably would have given those two answers first, <laughs> if you hadn't taken them off the table, because those are also great substantively i i had an interest in renewable energy projects before i came in house i had some exposure to them when i was working at sidley um, in sort of a limited role and just found myself really interested in them and so when i um when i was looking to go in house i actually initially only applied to renewable energy companies because mm -hmm. that was my First yeah. preference and I I got really lucky with with this job and so I would say I really enjoy being able to see projects um, from the the early stages all the way through to completion yeah. and operations I don't know it's just cool and, and it's a huge team effort and yeah. it's so cool when you reach the end and it's done and everyone's in celebrating and I don't know it's just I think that's really cool because it's something I've been interested in for a long time and sort of to get to be involved in that process is something that I really like awesome <laughs> well um you know I guess I just want to say thank you so much for for joining us on the podcast learned a lot about just what it's like to be in-house I've been very yeah. interested and it's really cool um so the question, you know, I normally have like a very fun one or I, I mean, this one is cool, but um, 
So as as a Houston transplant, um, what's your favorite Houston memory? Oh, wow. Um, okay, well, going back to sports, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> something that comes to mind was I actually got to go to a World Series game when the Astros were in the World Series in 2017. Um, And that was just awesome, you know. That's the one that that mattered. Yeah, that's a good, it's very Houston. (laughs) Yeah. That's a pretty big one, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, You know, I've got a lot of good memories here, but... um, you know, since we were talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sabra. Thank you. Again. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Um, I hope this was helpful for some people. Um, oh, and yeah, I'm, I'm always happy to talk about it. Um, and yeah, thanks for having me tonight. Thank you. All right. Take care. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of the High Lives Podcast, brought to you by the Houston Young Lawyers Association. To reach us, please email us at highlifespodcast at gmail.com. We hope to hear from you if you have any comments or questions about this episode or thoughts on a future one. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a great rest of your day.